This is J. Stephen Roberts of Real Crusades History, and this is going to be the Norman Conquest of Southern Italy and Sicily. Episode 1, Introduction, and I hope you guys enjoy this series. When most people hear Norman Conquest, they probably think of William defeating Harold at Hastings and capturing England in 1066, but there is another Norman Conquest of the Middle Ages that's very important. In the 11th century, Norman adventurers set out from their homes in northern Europe to wrest a new kingdom of their own from the Byzantines and the local princes of southern Italy, as well as the Arabs of Sicily. The story of the Norman conquest of southern Italy and Sicily is one of the most dramatic and important of the High Middle Ages. Initially, this conquest began as little more than a rather haphazard movement of adventure and wealth-seeking young knights from Normandy, who saw opportunity in the southern reaches of the Italian peninsula. However, this movement would result in the establishment of one of Europe's most important and dynamic kingdoms of the 12th century. Norman Italy and Sicily would be one of the great players in the rise of the Latin West and would contribute greatly to the Christian pushback against Islam's dominance of the Mediterranean. In this series on Real Crusades history, we'll take a look at how Norman adventurers found their place in Byzantine Italy, how they eventually replaced the Byzantine and other local princes as the rulers of southern Italy, and how they ultimately conquered the Muslim emirate of Sicily, bringing Sicily back into the orbit of Christendom after some two centuries of Arab domination. Everything about this story is colored with the unique character of the Normans, their military prowess and hunger for adventure, as well as their political creativity, Christian piety, and proclivity for culture, art, and architecture. Undoubtedly, the Normans were among the most dynamic peoples of the medieval world, and it's no wonder that the story of their conquest of southern Italy is one of the most exciting tales of the era. In the first part of the 11th century, the young Norman knights who traveled to southern Italy had no intentions of conquest. The business of the Normans was war, and these descendants of the Vikings would go anywhere that that business would earn them a living. Their wanderlust took them as far as Spain, where they served the Christian kings of Aragon, to the Byzantine Empire, where they found employ from the emperors of Constantinople. However, due to a vacuum in firm central authority... Southern Italy provided unique opportunity. Byzantine authority was often tenuous or haphazard, and the local princes were frequently at odds with one another. It was exactly the sort of situation that the Normans were keen to recognize and turn to their advantage. It wasn't long before certain knights sought to do more than make a living, but rather to seize a lordship of their own. Eventually, power coalesced around the dynamic figures of Richard Dregnant, and Robert Giscard, who would expand and solidify Norman power across the southern reaches of the peninsula. So, who were the Normans? The ethnic group known as the Normans constituted the descendants of the Vikings, the dreaded heathens of the north who plundered and terrorized their way across chaotic 9th century Europe. However, by the early 10th century, they had converted to Christianity and settled in the area of northwestern France, now known as Normandy, under the legendary Rollo, the first Viking prince to adopt Christianity. 
Rollo's forefathers had plundered Christian monasteries, but Rollo himself lavished gifts upon them, and when he was buried, he received a Christian funeral. However, still attached to his old pagan ways, Rollo nevertheless had a hundred captives sacrificed to honor the old gods. These vestiges of paganism didn't last long. By the time of Rollo's grandchildren, the former Vikings were entirely Christianized and had also become thoroughly integrated into the culture, language, and political life of the Franks, Charlemagne's heirs, who dominated Western Europe. Thus, the Normans as a group were born, and the territory they ruled under the Dukes of Normandy prospered. The once pagan Vikings readily adopted the Christian faith and Frankish law, and over time added their own creative flavor to both. What, then, endured in these people of their Viking ancestors? Undoubtedly, it was a talent for war and an appetite for glory, a thirst for adventure and the proclivity for striking out on seemingly impossible enterprises. That old Viking fatalism was still very much alive in the Normans and made them willing to take chances. Combined with their natural talent for political organization and gift for making a practical assessment of a situation, the Normans were a formidable force indeed. The system of government employed by the Normans in Normandy was what is today rather clumsily known as feudalism. It was a system that they inherited from the Franks. The Duke of Normandy bestowed large territorial plots to his counts, who in turn granted lordships to their barons and knights. This style of government was quite workable and stable establishing firm hierarchies of loyalty, which the medieval nobility took very seriously. However, there was also plenty of potential for problems, since land and its accompanying obligations could be obtained through a variety of means, including marriage, inheritance, purchase, or warfare. The result often meant that a single knight or noble had lands in more than one territory, and might end up with a complex assortment of loyalties and responsibilities. Since land was the primary source of wealth, it was a great source of competition among Europe's knightly class. The Duchy of Normandy was small, and its rapidly growing population of high-spirited young knights meant that there was much jockeying for position. Ultimately, there simply wasn't enough space in Normandy to satisfy the up-and-coming generation of knights. It's no surprise that so many of them took to wandering and seeking their fortune elsewhere. Aside from the church, all landholders were knights, since every fife came with military obligations. The training of a Norman knight began in early childhood. He would learn to hunt and manage horses and care for weapons and armor from his elder males, while churchmen would teach him religion and a certain amount of literacy. As he grew into youth, he was taught the finer points of Norman fighting techniques, more specialized equestrian skills, cavalry maneuvers, and the use of a sword and a lance. The physical conditioning was incredibly rigorous, and by adulthood, a Norman knight could wear 50 pounds of armor for long periods of time, control a haughty warhorse, engage in melee combat, and participate in the highly organized cavalry formations that constituted the backbone of Norman fighting style. Once his training was complete, a Norman knight would be quite adept at employing the devastating cavalry charge 
for which Latin Christians were famous. The equipment used by Norman Knights wasn't much different from what other Western European warriors used at the time. He wore a conical helmet, later augmented with a nose guard to protect the face. He carried a straight sword, around three feet in length, and a kite-shaped shield perfectly adapted to the cavalry charge. The armor used was the chainmail suit, and the Norman version of this was generally longer than that employed by other Europeans, protecting the knight's legs. Saddles were deep-set with long stirrups, giving the Norman a solid seat from which to deliver the charge. Thus, the Norman knight was a formidable warrior indeed. A large group of Normans could be absolutely devastating. Perhaps one of the most remarkable innovations of the Normans was their adoption of the couched lance. This was a technique they learned from the Byzantines in Italy, though it was rarely used by Byzantine troops. The Normans, however, used it constantly, and it made their charge particularly powerful. The technique involved the knight while mounted in the saddle, holding his lance braced between his arm and body. This transferred the weight of the horse into the blow, allowing for maximum impact. Well-armed, well-trained, with an appetite for war, conquest, and glory, the Normans of the 11th century began to pour out of their native Normandy and impact the wider European world. Southern Italy, as we'll see in our next episode, will be one of the great stages on which the drama of Norman ascent will be enacted. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please click on the link below to support us on Patreon. If you pledge $5 a month or more to Real Crusades History on Patreon, you'll get access to exclusive content on our Patreon feed not available to the public. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my novel, Why Does the Heathen Rage? A tale of Crusader Jerusalem in the 1120s during the reign of the great warrior King Baldwin II, available on Amazon.